Well, hey, welcome. Welcome to Grace. My name is Brian Wilson, the lead pastor here at Grace. And if you're with us in person, if you're with us online, hey, if you're with us online, I get two things for you. One, make sure you, you check in. Let us know where you are watching from right now. And uh, we got people right there ready, ready to pray with you, encourage you. So if you need something, if uh, there's something in the sermon or something later in the service that, that gets your attention, please make note of that. And we are there ready for you. Also, uh, and later in the service, we're going to be celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And so um, we have all the elements here, but if you're at home, maybe you don't have the elements. So I'm going to give you freedom right now. You can go right now, go and go get them and uh, bring them. And so you can, you can be part of us as, uh, as we uh, celebrate this last Sunday in July. I cannot believe it, my goodness. And it is, it is uh, summer has gone by fast. Uh, we are in the middle of the Gospel of uh, John, and we'll be there for a while. And uh, we are in John chapter 6 today, beginning in verse 14, just 15. Two, two verses uh, today. Let me set up the scene a little bit. Uh, Jesus has just performed a miracle. Now, Jesus has done a number of different miracles, and this one is, is a very famous miracle. He does this in all four of, of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John report and tell the story about this particular miracle, and that uh, Jesus uh, takes this offering, this little boy has this offering of uh, seven pieces of food, uh, uh, and uh, Andrew finds him, and the little boy presents this, this little offering to Jesus. There's all these people. We know there's 5,000 men, and there's, there's probably more than that, uh, women and children, and uh, the disciples really didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to feed all these folks. But Andrew finds this boy, and this boy who, this little boy makes this small offering. And I think, well, I didn't talk about this last week, but this boy, how generous he was. And, and really, he, he sort of does something that disciples do not have. They offer what they have. And so they give, he presents it to Jesus, or he gives it to Andrew. Andrew gives it to Jesus. Jesus takes it, gives thanks to his father, breaks it, and then multiplies to the point that everyone who is hungry is satisfied. That's amazing. And then there's all these leftover pieces, and they, and they collect all of them, and they fill up 12 basketfuls, which is a whole other sermon in itself, but like 12 baskets, probably one for each disciples, one representing all the different tribes of of Israel, to, to, to make a point to disciples, listen, I was able to take little and I fed so many that there's so much left over. And all the crowd there is just witnessing this miracle. And so this is what happens after the miracle. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And what they're referencing is in Deuteronomy 18, Moses speaks about a prophet who was going to come after him. It's the same passage that's quoted in John chapter 1. When John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and the religious people are trying to figure out who is this man 
And so they go up to him and say, hey, are you the prophet? They know the scriptures and know that God's going to bring someone great. And so John says, no, I am not. Well, five chapters later, here we see it again. And of course, who else could feed more than 5,000 people? Who else could take seven pieces of food and feed over 5,000 folks? It has to be the prophet. And so to say this, after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say to each other, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now here's Jesus' response in verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Hmm. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Everyone was awaiting a king. A king. God's king. God had spoken about it. And they waited that one day there was going to be this king who's going to bring this beautiful kingdom. And so for the Jews who were under the reign of the Romans, longed for that king. Many of Jesus' disciples were folks who had the same yearning. And you could see it. Uh, people wanted a king. That They wanted a king, God's king, that God had spoken about. And they said, this is the man, that Jesus is a king. And so they, knowing the scriptures, I believe, walked in faith and said, let's make him king. Of course, this is the king. Because they were impressed. Who would not be impressed by this miracle that Jesus had just performed? Right? He had just taken this little boy seven pieces of food. Right? And he had fed over 5,000 people. And there were 12 baskets left over. I mean, who else could have done this but the prophet, the king? And so their natural reaction was to make something of Jesus. Actually, the Greek word here is, is very similar to the Hebrew word here, which means that, that we are called to make something, that, that when the people in Genesis 11 were trying to make something of themselves, to make themselves a name, that they made a tower. There's something about us as humans where, where um, we, we want to make something of ourselves. And so, and so they saw what Jesus had done. And of course, their natural reaction was to make him a king. Was say, hey, let's, uh, let's anoint him now. Let's, let's make him king now. Because who else could take this bread and perform these wonderful miracles? We've watched all of these signs. We want him to be our king. Jesus rejects their offer. Jesus rebukes their offer. Jesus withdraws from the situation. It's very interesting. This happens several times throughout Scripture where Jesus knows what is going on in our hearts, and there's these moments, there's these 
these poignant moments, these these kairos moments, these these moments that are just pregnant with significance and, and where Jesus could say, yes, make me king. But he withdraws. I think there is this temptation here. The people were acting in faith, in fidelity to the scriptures. They they feel like, hey, I am operating according to God's word. This is what God said. But the way they went about it was not the king or the kingdom that he has brought. The issue here is all about power. Power. The people saw what Jesus had done, and their natural reaction was to elevate Jesus, was to give him more power than what he has now. Jesus withdrew. There's a a temptation within us to, to take the very words of God and then to use them in order to fulfill our own desires. That's what's happening here. The people knew the scriptures, and they wanted a king who was of this earth, who would be able to destroy the power structure of this earth. But this is not the king nor the kingdom that God has brought them. It's a question, a temptation about power. That who at this moment has the most power? Who at this moment has control? The people feel like they have control, that they can make Jesus king. They have no idea what kind of king or kingdom he has brought. When we look at power, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of the scriptures. Dallas Willard says that power is the ability to shape the world around us. That power is the ability to shape the world around us. We may use the word influence, but that power, he says, is the ability to shape the world around us. When Adam and Eve were were created in Genesis 1, we know from the scriptures that they were created in the image of God. Male and female were created in the image of God. And And we usually stop there. But if we keep reading... It says that then that they were given a job. We call that in in theology, they were given a cultural mandate. A cultural mandate. That they were not just to walk around and say, hey, look, I, I I am part of the image of God. Look at me, I'm living out this image of God. No, part of how they lived out that image of God was to subdue, was to exercise dominion, was to live in the world as God's agent. That part of their created identity was to engage the world, was was to be actually a, a vice agent, a vessel of God to actually take all the resources and and to operate in the garden in the world and and to make sure all the resources are being used to fulfill God's purpose and God's plan. That's why we do not believe, as Christians, there are things that are sacred and there are things that are secular. We We don't see the world that way. 
We don't see the world as one hour on Sunday, and then I have all these other hours. Okay? That is a dualistic view of the world. We actually believe that there's actually there's one world, and everything we do is sacred. From business, to voting, to, to, to parenting, to, to, to exercising, to, to eating, to, to leisure, to reading, and everything we do is, is, is under this whole realm is sacred. And it all goes back to Genesis 1, that when we were created in the image of God to bear forth this image, that how we live out that image is by engaging with creation. And it says that Adam and Eve were given dominion. And what that word means is actually power. That they actually had a job. That they weren't just to go up to heaven and say, hey, yeah, I'm just going to play golf and I'm just going to sit here and binge Netflix. No, they actually were to work. And their job was to work in the garden to make sure that God's rule and God's plan was being fulfilled. That they were given power. We see later on in Genesis 2 that they were given, Adam was given power to, to name animals, which I think is pretty cool, actually. And so they were, they were given power to steward all the resources in the world to, to, toward God's purposes, to shape the world around them according to God's purposes. It was the issue of power, the power to create, the power to steward. But something happened. The, the temptation of power, to have more power than they had been given. Because see, how they were to go about the world was to know that they didn't have all the power. That there was one place they could not go. And so they had to live and exercise sort of their dominion in this world, knowing that they did not have it all. That there was one who was more powerful. That there was one who was more mighty. That, um, that there was one who had a word that was how they were to live and live in fidelity and live in trust. But when the temptation came before them to have more power and not just to be a creature, but to be God, they took it. They took it. And all hell broke loose. They grasped. They went after this desire to be more than limited and finitude and living in God's dominion and God's reign. They wanted to be God. And so their relationship with God was shattered. Their relationship with each other was shattered. Their relationship within themselves was shattered. Their relationship within creation, they cannot do their job now because they, they are because they broke that relationship with creation. So now there's something called toil. And we wrestle with it still today. We wrestle with it. We struggle with it. How the scriptures put it is this way. There is power, and we can exercise that power in, from the way above, or we could exercise our power from the way below. 
Kyle Strobel, wrote the book. And in the book, he describes that we can live in this world in the way of the lamb or the way of the dragon. That the power from above that Adam and Eve first received, that Jesus came to restore, is the way of the lamb. But there's a power below. They call it the power of the dragon. that wants to destroy them and use power for its own self-purpose. They, they, they describe it this way, that, that the way above, that the way of the Lamb, that the source of that power is God. The way of the dragon, the way of below, the source is self. God and self. That the, that the way of the Lamb, the way of, of above, is to depend upon God. It's to trust in God. It's to depend upon Him. It's to rest in Him. The way of below, the way of the dragon, with the source of self, is the opposite. It's to rest and depend upon ourselves, our own will, our own willpower. The way of above, the way of the Lamb, where the source is God, where all we do depend upon God, it's manifested in weakness and humility. The way of below, the way of the dragon, where self is the source. And all we do is find all the power we have in ourselves is manifested in our strengths. The fruit of the way of above is love. The fruit of the way below is control. This way of the lamb, the way of the dragon, this way above and this way below. We wrestle with it every single day. Love, control, strength and weakness, myself or dependence upon God. And we see even here in our passage, Jesus is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. But he has not come to do this in the way of the world. How does he do this? He takes up a cross. He goes to a cross and he dies on that cross. The way of the world would say that is foolish. How could this person be a king because no king would ever submit themselves. No king would ever give of themselves. No king would ever show such weakness. There is no power in the cross. But Paul says, no, I can boast all the more because in the cross there is power. Because when I am weak, the scripture says, then I am strong. That's the way of the lamb. It's the way 
of Jesus. Jesus has not come just to restore us in right relationship with God. He's actually come to restore us of how we are to live in this world and how we are to use power. That the power is not found in ourselves and our own strength and our, our power is found when we give up our own control, when we are weak, unable, when we come to grips with our limitations and finitude. And we look at King Saul. King Saul was king, but he had intense envy for David. David was the anointed one. The people loved David. Saul did not want to lose his power. And realized that the only way that he could keep his power was to kill David. This became his pursuit, became his passion. It ruined him and it ruined his relationship with his son. The disciples, we see this. After Jesus has this last meal with his beloved ones, has already has washed their feet, has shown them what it means to, to be a servant, how, how he has come to love them, to give his life for them. They then begin to argue who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, that when his kingdom comes, when, this, when his kingdom comes and come in power, that they don't want to miss out on the greatness, that they want to have certain seats of, of privilege. So they begin to argue. What Jesus says is that the kingdom way is not of this world. That if you want to be great, you have to become least. And Jesus would then insert a child and say, you have to become like this innocent child. What I've realized is that when you walk with Jesus, you have to keep relearning Jesus. Because it's easy to, to fall into this world and the pattern of this world and fall according to the pattern of the dragon and keep trying to figure out, this is how I'm going to do things. I'm going to do it on my terms. I don't have the power. I don't have the strength. But who wants to be a lamb? Who, 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 who wants to boast in their weaknesses? Who wants to say, I don't have the answer. I don't know the way. I can't do this. But Paul says, this is where we find strength. This is the way of Jesus. And so rather than accepting our own limitations at times, rather than accepting our own inadequacies, we fight against it. And usually what I've seen as being a pastor for a while, when we are struggling, we don't come to the Christian community because we, we feel like everyone here has everything all figured out. And so we isolate ourselves and work on ourselves. And then when we feel good, then I come back. Because we don't want to be seen needy. And then we break down the church. Because the church is a place where it says that we all need each other. That we all carry each other. That we are to be that, that community not just of customers or clients, but brothers and sisters. 
that we're to carry each other's burdens, but we try harder. There's something about ourselves where, where we actually think that we are God. And that's why we have to keep relearning Jesus. That's why he withdrew. Because we have to accept him on his terms. That we have to accept him and his kingdom of how it comes. David, David Harvey has written a, a small piece about living this out as being as, as a parent. And I'm still trying to learn how to parent teenagers. He says this, he goes, Many parents see childbearing as a platform to display their faithfulness and their wisdom. Their children become their trophies. And so we find our identity in our children. See how strong they are. Look what I have done. Look how great a parent I am. Look how wise I am. Look how strong I am. He said, that's what I signed up for, and that's what I imagined parenting to be. But what I realized was I began to take a very serious hit. And my brand began to fail. The more I was determined to figure it out myself, the more I struggled. Was I deluded? Parenting exposed every spiritual weakness within my soul. Parenting exposed every spiritual weakness within my marriage. Parenting exposed every spiritual weakness in my family. It even created some new ones. Parenting equated me with desperation. Parenting teased me with fear. It awakened me to countless dark nights of the soul. I didn't realize that a child's seeming lack of progress was a place where parents truly encounter God. We pray, God, fix them. Then I hear God whispering back to me, yeah, huh? but first, let's start with you. Parenting didn't exhibit my strength. It exposed my own limitations. It revealed my dozen of places where I trusted in myself and in my leadership rather than in God. Ultimately, it laid me low and it revealed my self-trust. But that weakness, it drove me to Jesus. That desperation drove me to Jesus. I was able to see that he had plans for my kids and that he had power for me. Weakness is so important. Weakness is so important, he says, parents, to God, that he'll take the highest earthly experience. The things that elate us, like marriage and parenting and grandparenting and working, and use them to impose the kind of weakness that delivers his power. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He goes on to say, yes, if you want to do great things, go for it. But that way will lead you to death. But my way will lead you to life.
John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, says that we can either be a valley or a mountain. He says a, a valley is it's watered by the rain. And as the rain falls down in the valley, then it allows for those things in the valley to find fruit. And the summit of money and power and success, yeah, it's high, he says, but it's dry. And it remains dry. And the only way to receive, he says, to receive the power that God has for us is to be in the valley and to remain in the valley, to stay in the valley where God will pour out his rain, where God will care for you, where God will hear your cries, where God will make you strong. Yeah, you can stay up on the summit. Yeah, you can remain dry but you'll be thirsty and empty. God invites us to the valley, the valley of weakness, the valley of limitation. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know why, I'm inadequate, I can't figure it out. He invites us in the valley to be humble, to allow for his rain, his glorious water to fill us, where he will produce strength and wisdom. See, the way of power in the kingdom of God is through weakness. And even though we may be walking through a dark valley right now, we have a shepherd who's with us. His rod, his staff, comfort you. I love the, the passage where Jesus is in the garden. And they come to arrest him. And one of his disciples, Peter, takes out the sword and he chops off this guy's ear. And Jesus says, put the sword away. And he takes this guy's ear and he heals him, which I think is amazing. Then he says, listen, you know, you know, right now I have so much power at my display. Like, I mean, I could call right now legions of angels and I could have everyone destroyed. You think you're powerful. You're not. But I, I have come to do the will of my Father. I have chosen to go to the cross. Because in that cross, I will defeat all powers. There will no longer be any powers that are stronger because I, in that cross, have overcome the world. That's why Paul says that I don't boast in my strengths. I boast in my weakness. 
Because when I am weak, he is strong. And so as we come to this table today, as we come to this bread, as we come to this cup, we recognize that Jesus is all-powerful. But where does the power come from? It comes from his sacrifice. He says, if you want to have a life, yeah, you can have it. But if you want to have a life, you must give it away. And I'll give your life back. Scripture tells us on the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And he gave me thanks, he broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, our Lord took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, new promise, sealed by the shedding of my blood. As often as you drink from this, do this in remembrance of me. For my friends, as often as we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes. Amen? Join me in prayer. There are many things in the scriptures, Lord, that just do not make sense to me. They they go against everything that I have experienced in this world. When I live in a world where those who are powerful are wealthy, those who are powerful, Lord, exercise their power over us, But you have asked us, Lord, you have asked anyone who who follows you to take up their cross, that to, to lay down their cross, my cross of the dragon, my cross of wanting to be my own God, my cross of my own power, my own mindset, my own will, to take up my cross and to follow you and to look upon you, to depend upon you, to depend upon your words like Adam and Eve did not do, but Jesus did. The scripture tells us that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The apostle Paul, the Lord, teaches the church in Colossae that, that they are to seek the things that are above. And as long as they have their mind set on the things above, and they can live below. You haven't come to this world to try to make this world better. You have come to this world to restore it. And the use of power, Lord, you have come to make it right, to create and to restore. Lord, we, we confess that even Though we, we say we walk with you and we're walk with you, God, that, that, that we still, there's something of us saying, I can still make it. I can do this. And you're out there going, okay, but I'm here. But you can't. Just lean upon me. 
Just abide in me. Just, just rest in me. And I will give you power. I will, I will give you power. I will give you strength in your weakness. As you parent, as you grandparent, as you foster parent. I will give you power at work when you don't know how you're going to make it through this season. That you don't know where the money is going to come from. When you are slicing budgets, when you're looking at inflation, you don't know what's going to happen. When you're watching the stock market and you're saying, what is going on with this world? That, Lord, we cry out to you. Lord, in our health, Our bodies hurt. Our bodies ache. Our minds, Lord. We realize that we are limited, finite creatures, and we need you. That when we are weak, we're actually not weak. We are strong. And when we're strong, we're not really strong. We're actually weak. And Paul says, boast all the more in your weaknesses. So Lord, maybe be a church like that. To depend upon you, to cry out to you and to see you work. That power to walk with you right now in this day. To figure out, Lord, if we're 70 or 80, that, that, that my life has made a difference. How do I use these days that you've given to me for others to walk with Jesus? Losing loved ones in the midst of grief and heartache and pain in this world. Frustration and bitterness and anger. Oh, God, we lay it down before you. We are weak. May we be strong. And so we come to this table today in weakness, inadequate. I mean, when you, when you called Moses, Moses said, hey, 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 I have no power. And you say, hey, what's that staff? Throw down that staff. And then take that staff back up. Hey, put your hand in your cloak and pull it out. And then put it back. But that wasn't enough for Moses. He said, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. Paul even said that, I'm not eloquent. And look what you did with Moses. Look what you did with Paul, with Mary, with Hannah, with Elizabeth, with Abraham, with Stephen. When we are weak, you are strong. Jesus went to the cross, defeated all the powers of this world. And on the third day, he was raised. Anyone who accepts Jesus as the Lord and Savior, the power of the resurrection lives in us. 
And so when we come to this table, as you take this common bread and common juice to the power of the Holy Spirit, that you allow for these elements to be used in a sacred purpose, oh Lord, today, may we meet you here in a tangible way, here in person online. Be filled with the presence, the living presence of Jesus. We ask all this in the name of Jesus who taught his disciples to say this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and give us our debts and give us our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Allow us the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.